stop writing, put your pens down and pass your papers to the front. Uh, it's been a long time since I've been in a test like that, an exam where I've heard those words. But today we're going to be asked to undergo a test, not one that's imposed by or administered by a school or by the RMS or by your doctor, but we're asked to test ourselves. Uh, it's a self-examination. Your doctor might ask you to do one of those, but it's, it's uh, one you're supposed to do on yourself at least once in a while. And did you hear it as the passage was read for us twice in verse 5 of chapter 13? Test yourselves, examine yourselves. And maybe your heart has already started to beat a little bit faster. I mean, who likes tests? Uh, for most of us, they're things that fill us with anxiety and worry. Whether it is the driving test, uh, remember the the anxiety that gave you, the instructors looking to fail me, and do I have to do the, this, that? Have I turned the engine on? Have I got my seatbelt on? Oh, I can't, you know, I hope that we don't do the reverse park down a hill. Uh, or, or whether it's the HSC, the dread that fills students, that causes many sleepless nights and causes some others to actually study for the first time in their life. Or even a blood test. Why has the doctor ordered that? What's going to happen? Am I going to die? What's wrong? And I'm conscious that there'll be some people listening who are the kind who, that just at the mention of a test will automatically assume that they're going to fail. They're the kind of person who is the one that walks out of the test and says, well, that question three, I'm sure I got that wrong. I'm a failure. Everything's hopeless. I, um, it's the end. I'm useless. How often does that end person though end up getting a high distinction and everything's okay? But others of us are the kind of people who, despite whatever evidence to the contrary, are persuaded that we're quite brilliant, that we're okay, it's all going to be good, and we walk out of any attest assuming that uh, we're, we're amazing. Like We're a bit like a dog coming out of the water and shaking the water of its back in glory kind of thing. Everything is real with the world. But this test that we're asked to undergo is not to prove how clever we are, nor is it to show us how we fit on some scale that we can use to rank ourselves against everybody else. And nor is it an entrance exam. It's not to show whether we can get into the Christian faith or uh, how we can get on in the Christian faith or if we can somehow prove our worth to God. It's a test to show, to demonstrate that Christ is in us. Look again at verse 5. He says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves or do you yourselves not recognize that Christ Jesus is in you unless you fail the test? So it's not like the HSC. It's not like uh, a test to get into a place at UNSW or WSU or, or even into Macquarie Fields TAFE. The word examine there, examine, is from the world of metalwork, and it means to prove something is genuine silver or gold and not a fake, not fool's gold. Show me the evidence that this is real and not a fake, that it's the genuine article. And in this case, whether you're genuinely a Christian or as Paul puts it, that you're in the faith or again, that Christ is in you. He's saying there is a way you can know yourself a way to tell if you're in the faith and your faith in the Lord is genuine, real, really means something. Now, I'm conscious that uh, any exam strikes fear into us sometimes of the examiner. Uh, some of us feel like the teacher or the doctor who's ordered the test wants us to fail, that they're looking for the worst. 
that the examiner is not on our side. But that's not the case here. Uh, Paul wants us to pass, doesn't he? he? He wants us to know for ourselves where we stand with God and that we are genuinely connected to Jesus. That's what he wants for the Corinthian church, right? The, the reason he's ordering the test is because he's afraid. He's afraid they've been sucked in and he's afraid they've been sucked away from Christ by those who've infiltrated them, as we've seen in the last few weeks, the people who call themselves super apostles, but they're false workmen, they're masquerading. They, they come preaching a different Jesus. They're offering false hope from a false gospel, a different gospel. They're promising a different spirit to the spirit that Jesus himself promised. But he wants them to pass. He wants them to succeed. He doesn't want them to keep going in the direction they're going. He wants their faith to be genuine. Think of the ways that he talks about himself and his hopes for them. He uses three different images to describe himself. First, he presents himself as a, as a master builder. Uh, you see that back in chapter 12 and verse 19. He says, have you been thinking all along that we were defending ourselves to you? No, in the sight of God, we are speaking in Christ and everything, dear friends, is for building you up. Or again, in our passage in chapter 13, verse 10, this is why I'm writing these things while absent so that when I'm there, I may not have to deal harshly with you in keeping with the authority that the Lord gave me for building you up and not for tearing down. He wants them to succeed. He wants them to pass a test. He, he wants to see their genuine faith. But he's not just a master builder with a plumb line checking out the work. He, making sure it's completed to satisfaction. He's, he's also presents himself as, as a loving parent. Chapter 12 and verse 14. For children ought not to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for you. He wants the best for these people who he considers his children. He wants the best as any good parent should. That's what he wants for us as well. But then thirdly, he's also the prayerful pastor. Chapter 13, verse 7. But we pray to God that you do nothing wrong. Or again in verse 9. We rejoice when we are weak and you are strong. We also pray that you'll become fully mature. So here comes Paul, the master builder, on a site visit, and he's hoping beyond hope that there really is something genuine going on that is built on the right foundations and going in the right direction. Test yourself. And here comes Paul at the parent-teacher evening, hoping beyond hope that his child is going well. Examine yourself. And the loving pastor, prayerfully on his knees, asking God to hold them firm, secure them in the faith, and grow them up. Test yourselves. He's not out to fail them. He wants them to pass. Examine yourselves. But nevertheless, he still knows that the stakes are high. Verse 5, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you yourselves not recognize that Christ Jesus is in you unless you fail the test? It's striking, isn't it, that the end of these two letters and he talks about the third visit that he's going to give them. He spent years with them in the past. He's got to this point of this years of dealing with them and he asks the question, is there anything genuine going on in the church of Corinth? Has this been built on solid rock, on solid foundations? Will it pass the test? He's not actually sure, though he hopes 
Will the examination prove that there's something genuinely Christian here? And while we can speculate on why, on whether the Corinthians would have passed or not in the end, it's hearing God's word to us because it's the very question that every church and every Christian is supposed to be asking of themselves at least once in a while. And so it's a good test for us to be administering to ourselves. Not because God's out to fail us or trick us, but because the dangers that they faced back then that we're sucking them away and sucking them in are the same dangers that Christians face in every age. There's always temptations and there's always false teaching and there's always the same dramas going on. And he wants us to stand strong and to stand firm in Jesus Christ. So what is the test? Because we can claim all sorts of things about ourselves and we can use all kinds of measures to work out how genuinely Christian we are or whether this church has an authentic Christian ministry. But the question we need to ask ourselves is, would the apostle, the master builder, the proud parent, the prayerful pastor, would he consider it to be genuine? Right? It's not the tests we might come up, the tests he comes up with. For all that glitters is not necessarily gold, according to the Apostle Paul. And surface style and you know, various signs of numbers or whatever it might be do not guarantee substance. And it would be pretty good to know, wouldn't it, if we're on the right track, but particularly now at the end of this difficult, painful, challenging year uh, and, you know, and looking to, to rebuild and restart and, and, and what we might do ahead in the new year. What a great thing to have someone hold up a plumb line to us in a, and in a humble way to ask, is this church that we are part of and building and hoping to move forward something genuine and good, something God would be proud of and delighted to call his own? Can we see the signs? So what is the test? How would we know if Jesus Christ is in us, that we're in the faith? Well, there's three aspects to the test that Paul pulls out here through chapter 13. Three things that we can use to examine ourselves to see if our church is genuinely gold and not fool's gold, and if our own personal faith is genuine. I'm going to call them the three C's. Now, they're slightly different to the three C's that if you've done prepared to serve, uh, that we talk about there, which is character convictions and competencies. There's some overlap, but the three C's that Paul gives us here to test ourselves on whether we're in the faith or Christ is in us are these. Uh, are convictions, that's the same, character and connections. That's the, that's the different one. It's not our skills and our form and our substance, but are we connected right? Let's go through them. Convictions. Is our faith based upon the truth of the gospel? Is it based on the real Christ and his death and resurrection? Have we grasped the sweet and glorious truth that sets us free or are we believing lies? Are we moved on to a different Christ? Connections. Are we in fellowship with and standing in the line of the apostolic ministry of Paul and Peter and the others who Jesus chose to proclaim his life-giving message or have we so disconnected from them and rejected them? Uh, in the, the Uniting Church uh, Social Issues Committee back in the uh, early 90s published a paper that said, well, 
1 Timothy is probably not written by Paul and this other part, well, we can see what it says. We just think it's wrong and doesn't even connect with the gospel that Paul himself said he proclaimed. And so they they said they were with Jesus, but they disconnected from Paul. And so connections back to the apostles and their ministry and character. Has the gospel of Jesus taken root in our lives and begun to transform us more and more into his likeness so that we love God? so that we want to see him honoured and glorified in, in every part of our lives, that we, we're not hiding things separate from him, or have we just given Jesus token assent and gone straight back to living for ourselves a reality, although we can put on a mask when we come to church. Convictions, connections and character. And according to Paul, the master builder, the loving parent, the prayerful pastor, each of those three C's ought to exhibit the same sorts of characteristics, the same two characteristics, things that lay behind everything he said from chapter 10 to chapter 13. They are weakness and power. I don't know if you've noticed over these weeks how those two things have just been the centre of what he's talking about, weakness and power. You see it in verse 4. For he was crucified, that is Christ was crucified in weakness, but he lives By the power of God. That's talking about a conviction, right? About the gospel. Or about connections where we're also weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by God's power. Or again, in verse 9, talking about character, we rejoice that when we are weak and you are strong, we also pray that you become fully mature. That is, in God's wisdom, weakness and power always go together, hand in hand. And the way that he works is nothing at all like the world operates on or or expects to see, right? They're they're looking for God at work in something. They're looking for something other than this weakness and power at work in terms of convictions, the gospel of salvation, the gospel of truth, the, the genuine, authentic gospel of Jesus Christ. It looks weak. It looks frail and pathetic. Paul's point is that God's defeat of sin and Satan took place at the cross where he was crucified in weakness. The cross was a moment of abject, apparent weakness and shame. As you look at the cross, it appears to be catastrophic. It looks like defeat for Jesus, but it's actually victory. It looks like failure for Jesus, but it's actually success. It looks like tragedy for Jesus, but it was actually triumph. For it was there at the cross that Jesus, crucified in weakness, that God the Father heaped upon the Son his judgment of all human sin. As we pray in the communion service, he was made there by his one offering for himself once and for all time, a full, perfect and sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. It looked like weakness and failure when he was crucified, What could be more weak and inadequate and disastrous? But it was actually triumph. And the power of it is seen in his resurrection. Gloriously alive, vindicated, sin paid for, atonement made, ruling now in victory. But that same message at the heart of genuine Christian conviction is is seen in the kind of work he does through his workers who he sends out. And so who are we connected to? What do his ambassadors look like? Are they powerful? Are they superstars? Are they kings? 
victors who you know can draw the millions to an assembly you know and have these crowds and just people falling over themselves to buy tickets people who've never had to face any challenges or cruelties in life like the super apostles boasted about themselves well no for verse 4 he was crucified in weakness but he lives by the power of god but we are also weak in him that is authentic genuine Christian ministry doesn't just have the message of weakness but as we've seen over the last few weeks the Lord Jesus closed the Christian work of speaking about himself in ordinary everyday flawed and failing human beings we are weak in him says the apostle Paul and so genuine Christian ministry conducted by authentic Christian ministers what will it look like It'll look weak. And that's been Paul's point for chapter after chapter. He's spoken reluctantly. He's spoken very reluctantly about his weakness and unimpressiveness. He's pushed into it by the super apostles boasting. He says, well, look at us. Beaten, bashed, disputed, debated, shipwrecked, hungry, facing enemies everywhere we go, starving sometimes. Looks a lot like the Lord Jesus as he was crucified in weakness, doesn't it? It's exhibited in his workers as they go out. doesn't look like anything much to the world. In fact, it looks like just old cracked jars of clay, but filled with the glorious treasure of the gospel. And so through it, though it comes clothed in weakness, it's actually the power of God at work. For though we are weak in him in dealing with you, we live with him by God's power. Genuine Christian ministry might look and sound feeble and pathetic. You know, the church might seem like nothing and you know, look at these people that God's got around us and they're pretty ordinary as well. But in preaching the risen Christ who has cleansed us from sin, a new creation is birthed and not just once, lots of times as people turn to Christ, as their sin is dealt with, as the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in people, as enemies of God become friends as slaves to sin and death and the devil are made children of God. Resurrection life enters into this new creation and begins to put things in order and it all comes through this weak preaching of the message. And so it is that we are transformed in both weakness and in power. We were weak. We were helpless. We had nothing to offer God, nothing to boast about ourselves. I mean, if you understand the gospel of grace, why Jesus had to go to the cross, it was because we couldn't save ourselves. We couldn't pull up our socks high enough or work our way into God's good graces. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to you for dress. Helpless look to you for grace. Stained by sin to you I cry. Wash me, Saviour, or I die. But it's not just that we start in weakness before a Christian, we go on in weakness, standing in the gospel only by the grace of God, being transformed by him, not into people or churches who look amazing to the world, who are going to command awe and respect and, and dazzle everyone around us by how clever we are or how wonderful we are or how rich we are, but being transformed into people who, who walk by faith who are seeking first God's kingdom and righteousness, who, who, who are new creations, who are, who are nothing like the people they were before, moving away from things like rage and bitterness 
and being controlled and driven by our lusts and our passions into people who are characterized by, well, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness. Those are the kinds of things, loving each other, forgiving, being generous. Not that we are all those things all the time, you understand, but but that we're growing them. God has begun a new work in us, being transformed day by day by the power of God as we embrace God's gospel and as we embrace and stay connected to authentic Christian ministry and as those things, the gospel and authentic Christian ministry embraces us. Have you embraced the gospel in all of its weakness, though it truly is the power and the wisdom of God? And have you embraced authentic Christian ministry? Are you impressed by something else that's more dazzling and exciting? Or, and have, have those things embraced you? You should see it in yourself as God transforms you. Now, that's the test. That's how you check yourself to see whether you're in the faith, to see if Christ is in you. And it's interesting, as you go back and read both the letters to the Corinthians, you see that those three things stand out all the time as the marks of true, a true Christian and a true Christian church, a genuine church. Uh, all those times we're told that that's what it means, that a Christian or a church is or inside a church, and it always falls into one of those three categories. Now, I did it as an exercise on Tuesday. I just went back, took half an hour just to blitz through, skim through the two letters. And uh, I, I wrote out a list of all the times he says, well, this is someone who's in the kingdom of God and this is someone who's not. This is some." And uh, I, I've printed it and will add it as an attachment to the thing. I don't want to go through it now. And it's in the handout on the church on Sunday. Uh, if you come to face-to-face church, so you always get a benefit for coming face-to-face. But I've color-coded it red for convictions green for connections and black for character. But he keeps saying, in all those three categories, there's in and there's out, and you can test yourself. Now, we could spend the rest of the day talking about it because this is so different to the kinds of tests that people want to use to identify whether someone really is a Christian or not. I remember back to the late 90s uh, when the Toronto blessing hit Sydney about people were falling over and barking like dogs and laughing uncontrollably and saying that they now knew that Christ was in them. It must be the genuine work of the Spirit of God in people that they've lost all sense of um, self-control and dignity. Have you seen the Netflix documentary, The American Gospel? It's, It's about the gospel of health and wealth and prosperity that people are flocking to in their millions. But the test isn't have 5,000 people being cured of their aching backs today. It's have you embraced the weak message of Christ crucified and has it changed you within fundamentally so that you are a different person? And nor is the test whether the style of church is of a particular sort or not, whether it's you know, traditional enough or there's the right robes or the right words or the right candles or the right hand gestures of blessing from the minister or from the crowd or the right tone of voice in the right kind of building. That's not got anything to do with the test that Paul puts. They're nothing to do with being marks of genuine Christianity or a genuine faith or a genuine church. 
One of the most popular books in Christian circles these days, it's in a course that's run by um, churches across the world, it puts these as the genuine marks of the Holy Spirit at work in someone's life. Let me read it to you. I'm reading from the book. Sometimes when people are filled by the Spirit, they shake like a leaf in the wind. Others find themselves breathing deeply, almost as if they were physically breathing in the Spirit. Physical heat sometimes accompanies the filling of the Spirit and people experience it in their hands or some other part of their bodies as if glowing all over or experiencing liquid heat. And it's mind-boggling. These are not the marks that the Apostle Paul puts as to whether something is genuine, whether the Spirit's at work or not, whether someone's in Christ. These are the tests, character, convictions, connections. Right? Are they right? Have we sorted them out? So let's get to the test. Test yourself. Examine yourself. Have I embraced the genuine Christian message? Has it embraced me? Have I embraced authentic ministry and has it embraced me? Am I growing in character as God works in my life and and sorts out the sin and helps me to put on the characteristics that are like him. Now, I can't answer those questions for each of you. Only you and God, and maybe some other people might have a suspicion, but only you and God know the answer to that. Right? But but it is worth answering. Okay, it's, you've got to do the work. One of the greatest mistakes to make would be to go away and not self-administer this test that Paul's giving. That's why God's included it here in his word. That's what God is calling us to go and do, both as a group and as individuals. So so take some time this afternoon. Take some time. Put it aside. If you don't put it in your diary now, you'll never do it. Take some time to reflect and ponder and answer, just like you've got to do the test that the doctor gives you, the self-examination kind of test where you poke and prod yourself. You've got to take some time to administer this test that God's given you to administer yourself. Am I in the faith? Is Christ genuinely in me? But what happens if I do the test and I fail? What what happens then? Well, the first thing to do is to see if you've really failed or you're just one of those people who walks out of every test thinking the worst. You know, I answered question three wrong. It must be all over. My life is ruined. If you do the test and you find there is something amiss, then you need what you need to do is to, is to bring it to God. Right, that's the first thing. You come to God in prayer, ask Him to help you change it. Whatever it is that's missing or different or seems out of step, because in the end, He's the only one who can change us. We're not talking about pulling our socks up ourselves. And, and, and guess what? God is for us. That's why we pray, isn't it? He's powerful. He's loving. He's given everything. He's for us. That's why he sent his son that we might be forgiven, that we might be transformed, and we might put him as first again. Right? Where Christ's love compels us so that uh, we who used to live for ourselves might not live for ourselves any longer, but for him who died for us. But it might also be that you need to get some help from one of your Christian brothers and sisters here or from one of the staff possibly or maybe from Christian help outside of church. See, if there's a real problem that you've got, as you find in any of these areas, be it convictions or in connections or in character, 
that then don't battle with it alone. Don't battle with it alone. Much better to get help, even if it's a little bit awkward or embarrassing and people think, well, why are they struggling with that? Shouldn't shouldn't they be past that by now? Um, Better to, to deal with the awkwardness and embarrassment and just get the help than to stumble on blindly and alone to a point where it's either really, really difficult to come back from or you dug yourself in such a deep hole or it can even become impossible to come back from. And trust me, there is no issue that you could be facing that someone else hasn't faced or wrestled with or dealt with in the past. And there's, there is help for anything and everything. And I can tell you, I've seen it all. Well, I think I have. Uh, and there's nothing that you could talk about that would be so, oh, wow, I never saw that coming. That's impossible. And your brothers and sisters are for you. We're all for you. This isn't a test designed to fail people given by a master builder, a loving parent and a prayerful pastor. It's given by to, to, to build up, to encourage, to, to see what's not right and to be part of God's family and to grow up in the faith. And yes, he, uh, Paul says he may have to exercise discipline. He warns them about that in verse one. If he, shows up and everything's still chaos and all the problems that are still there and the sins that he's written to them about and been there and visited them and had to deal with in the past. But that's not his aim. That's not his hope. The aim is in verse 10. This is why I'm writing these things while absent, so that when I'm there, I may not have to deal harshly with you in keeping with the authority the Lord gave me for building up and not for tearing down. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Become mature, be encouraged, be of the same mind, be at peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints send you greetings. That's what we want to be as a church, isn't it? That's what we want for each other and we want each other to be. Growing in maturity, growing in love and joy showing more and more the power of God at work in us, even in our weakness, you know, convicted by the truth, uh, eager to please God in everything that we do, both corporately and individually, uh, genuinely concerned for each other's physical well-being and, and spiritual well-being. And I trust that's what we are becoming more and more as we embrace authentic Christian gospel and the authentic Christian ministry and as it embraces us. You know, we're not perfect, we're not going to be in this world, but we should be aiming to be moving forward and that's what God is growing in us. And so let me finish with the last line of the text. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with, well, not just you all, but with us all. Amen. Our Father, as we come to the end of this letter, there's been lots to reflect on, lots of challenge, lots that makes us uncomfortable, and lots that we, when we look with your eyes at your church across the world, there's lots that's uh, missing or failing or wrong-headed and maybe even sucked in and led astray. Father, please protect us from that. We pray that we would be diligent in administering this test you give to ourselves to test our convictions, 
to test our connections to Paul and to the gospel and, and to the, the line of ministry and, and test our character as it's being transformed day by day in the light of the glory of Christ. Father, make these things more and more real for us. Help us to uh, be sharper and sharper in how we think and how we understand the gospel and, and, and not to be confused or led astray. We pray that, uh, we would, um, we would love your, our brothers and sisters. Father, where we're struggling with things, help us to get the help that we need from our brothers and sisters in Christ or elsewhere. And we pray, please, that we might be useful in building each other up. Help us when we are confronted by something that makes us uncomfortable, that someone's revealed to uh, be genuinely loving and uh, prayerful and point them towards Christ. Help us, use us, help us to grow as your people. And we pray that you would strengthen our church and keep it on a firm foundation in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, we pray these things in his name and for his glory. Amen.